0: Pulp MX production. Thanks for all the support, Pulp MX fans. The Pulp MX app is now available for both iPhone and Android-based phones. For all your moto needs, shop at btosports.com and use the current discount code PULPMX. And don't forget to click the Amazon banner on pulpmx.com when purchasing anything from Amazon. It's the Steve Mathis Show, brought to you by Racer X, presented by Sports.com and Thor MX. The original Moto podcast featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts
1: and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis.
2: Welcome to the BTO Sports. Dot com, Racer RacerX podcast presented by our friends at Thor MX. Thanks everybody for uh, listening. Yes, the season is done, but that does not mean these are done. We keep these things rolling baby right through the off season. We got a lot of great ideas. JT has in particular has some fantastic ideas about uh, some old races and things like that, that we're going to carry up on. Um, uh, thanks to BTO and thanks to Thor MX. Thanks to RacerX. Uh, my two friends on the line, friends, buddies, partners, uh, Jason Thomas. Sir. And Jason Wigand. Yeah. Hey, uh, JT, I know you're linked in with the uh, BTO sports guys, as am I. They have a uh, best amateur motocross photo of 2013 contest going on. Did you submit any photos? or?
0: I did not. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't partake in amateur motocross yet.
2: And no, it's just an amateur motocross photo.
0: Oh, yes, I still did not, did not partake. I am not an amateur motocross photographer Yet.
2: Okay. Uh, what it is, uh, they're giving you a free trip to the Monster Energy Cup, and uh, you, you go to uh, Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BTO sports. You can find the contest under the tab section in the cover photo, and uh, you can upload your photo. Grand prize winner, two tickets to the Monster Energy Cup, airfare, two nights stay at Hard Rock, $500 cash for spending money. Like, what can you do with $500 cash in Vegas? Good God. Um you got to enter by September twentieth, twenty thirteen, Weege. So get on that. And it's basically. Uh, did they get VIP
1: VIP treatment from JT?
2: I don't know. I think that's no, a separate deal. Yeah, it's a separate deal. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay.
1: so it would be interesting if JT did compete, did take a photo, did win it, and then had to be his own <laughs> VIP guest. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like can show ob- myself a good time now and again.
2: Chance ability Davy Coombs enters with an iPhone photo. Oh, I, of a
1: sign. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, we're all fired that's it, we're all fired that's it. it's the last last ever podcast um, so yeah, it's a cool thing they want me to pump it up uh, btosports.com uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash btosports go there, you can win a trip to Vegas $500 cash, you can probably meet Jason Wygant and Jason Thomas Andrew Short and uh, September 20th, entry closes so uh, check it out everybody and uh, give them your best shot Thanks to Thor MX, official gear of Marvin Muscan, who is not riding for France Motocross of Nations, but thanks to Thor MX for coming on board. So we um, we had an idea to uh, we scrapped JT's idea for now. That's coming down the line though. It's a fantastic idea. Um, we we just took letters. We, we we didn't have much to talk about. We we could do a wrap up of the Motocross series, but usually we look pretty dumb doing that. Um, so we got to keep these things going, and maybe we'll still do the wrap up at some point, but. Really, we just said, uh, hey, we're out of ideas. You guys send us your ideas.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. And the questions, um, questions were good. I, there's none of them. There's not a single one that we're like, nah, we're just not going to read that. That's too dumb. Um, <laughs> I was very scared after looking at the Racerex comment section on a daily basis of what we were going to get. But yeah. I believe our podcast listeners are cut above.
2: The, uh, the all caps, you know, Jason Wygant is ruining our sport. Uh, those none of you didn't get any of those.
1: No, although the first one we're going to read does involve uh, someone accusing one—not mm-hmm. me, but one of you two—at
2: yeah. um, yeah.
1: slamming riders. I'm not sure who she's talking about.
2: Oh, JT, definitely, no doubt. In my, oh, yeah, no doubt in not. my mind, no doubt. Um, well, actually, the first email is something from the Pulp Show that I forgot to ask JT, but I thought it would be funny to ask now. So all right, go. let's go. Very first email um, is for JT, and all it says is JT, list your favorite bands. From Spencer. That's it. Just list your favorite bands. Uh,
0: That's uh, all right. Um, Yeah, I would say, well, depends on different kinds of music. I I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds. Starting Line, Yellow Card. Van Halen? Uh, No. Um, I like Def Leppard. I like all kinds of stuff. So I don't know. Way too many to list here. Okay.
2: Weegee, what what bands do you like? I don't even recall you listening to real music ever. Like you have yeah, to, I know Yesterday,
1: have... um, always... I w- um, I've had my—I have this this iPhone that I've had. I've had it for two years now. I have not a single song on it, right. not one MP3 on it in two years. Incredible. Loaded with podcasts, and there's plenty of internet radio going on. I even have the—I even pay for the Sirius XM subscription. Hey, they know better than me. What? There's no way that I know better of what music I want to listen to than somebody else. Does That make sense.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. So yeah. No, but getting back to that, like, there's just no bands. There's no music. You don't. You're not into music.
1: It's a waste of time, dude. I'm not getting any smarter by listening to music.
2: <laughs> yes, but listening to the to the Yes Network drone on about the Yankees' fifth starter. Now there, of all the dramatic I might, things, yes, I
1: might get something out of that. <laughs> Wfan, first time, long time.
2: <laughs> right. You might get something out of the Mad Dog and Mike. Are uh, you a fan
1: of
0: yeah. that lady that announces the games? Weej.
1: Thank oh, again. Susan Walton. Oh, no.
0: Of all no, the dramatic all. things, Roger Clemens
2: standing in George Steinbrenner's box.
1: owner's box.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about, but oh, you need to find who, it. No, I know the woman. She yeah, elevated she's from, she's like, legendary. She's reporter
1: to, right. like, announcer, and she's way too close to the player. She's, like, 70 years old. <laughs> I don't think she's railing the players, but, boy, would she like to. And she gets just so overly emotional during games. Like, she cries. <laughs> The player gets hurt or is having a bad season, like she'll literally start breaking down in the air.
2: Right. Yeah,
1: Very I, professional.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and what
0: I'm talking about is when they re-signed Roger Clemens. Okay. She was just – because Clemens was standing in Steinbrenner's uh, box suite, and she's just losing it. And they, they play this clip all the time on sports radio, and she's oh, okay. just freaking out.
1: <laughs> Very professional. Yes.
2: Um, all right, and then – okay, so there you go. Um, there's an email. Answer, uh, next one, uh, this one, I'll read this one, Weege. It's, uh, it's from Amanda. Um, mm-hmm. Hello, Jason, I am a fan of your podcast and commentary work. Oh, Jason's got a podcast. I didn't know that. Um, mine, my podcast. I especially enjoy when you address topics outside of the MX world. I have a BA in psychology and work with juvenile delinquents, so after riding for many years and experiencing the highs and lows of racing motocross on an amateur level, fun versus broken bones, I can't help but feel sympathy for professional racers who carry the weight of their entire families on their backs in a career that can be taken from them in an instant. I am often disturbed by the lack of sympathy given to racers who succumb to the pressures of racing and are unable to live up to expectations. Uh, They are often mocked and laughed at by your podcast counterpart, even though riders as great as Reed and Villapoto have had their careers greatly affected by the death of a friend, a big crash, or family turmoil. I was wondering if you would consider getting a psychologist or someone outside the MX world on your show, your show, my show, uh, to offer an outside view and delve further into what it must be like for these teenage heroes of Supercross and Motocross. Keep up the good work. Well, clearly she's talking about JT. I mean, you can read between the lines. Yeah, it's it's obvious. Um,
1: yeah, why do you always mock
2: the riders? You mock and laugh. Uh, I think it's uh, just,
0: you know, so conscious about my weight, so I like to put others down.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 That could be that. Yeah. Um, And, and, you know, she does say that the the sympathy for professional racers who carry the weight of their entire families. Right. So, yeah. She's got the subliminal message going. Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, JT, you should have them on your show, on your podcast show.
1: You should do that. Uh, Maybe I'll have to revive it.
2: Yeah, we we all know two reasons why I got back at Racer X. Uh, you effed up the podcast show, Weege, Oh yeah, and uh, and I was good at tweeting. Th- there we go. That's uh, it.
1: Also because we expected you to, um, literally like
2: oh yeah maybe so
1: right. like just just be bombed by the industry like killed like pitchforks, grenades, and uh, you went a full year uh, without our supervision and didn't do it so. <laughs> Like,
2: I guess this guy's okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah uh, you can have them on your podcast show, the one where you deleted the entire show uh, about McGrath and testing or something.
1: Now we had audio difficulties. I still have the file. Oh, okay. This sounds um, Yeah. Yeah, you know
2: what? We, I mean, look, the, the, a big part of this uh, show is laughing, and we do poke fun. And, you know, just last week, Weed, you got into a little uh, <laughs> kerfuffle with an industry person, and that's using the term lightly. Um, Over something that we were laughing at. How dare
1: you say that about her, Steve? (laughs) How dare you say that? I'm Uh, here to defend her, and it's Gary Bailey's wife, okay? Right. To be calling people chicks. That's insulting.
2: That was you. That wasn't me. That was you. Um,
1: She was very upset about me referring to her as a chick. Sorry.
2: um, You know, so we just last week we were making fun, and you caught a little bit of flack. and I don't know, man. um, I I don't want to stop the way we're doing it. I don't want to. I mean, look, guys like Jason Lawrence, Austin Stroop, the list goes on and on and on. They they have blew through enormous amounts of talent and or money, Josh Hansen, in their time. And I feel like they deserve to be mocked because most normal people, quote unquote, would not do that. And and, and I mean, I just don't – I want to keep these things light. We can go drone on and on about PEDs and Painkillers and the, you know, this and that of the sport, and we can just bum everybody out, or we can, you know, talk about racing, bench race, and have a good time. It's kind of my, my theory on it all.
1: I think also uh, we, we are trying to treat this like every other professional athlete in every other sport, which would be, which is that you don't get a free pass. Uh, we could basically have a show where we just say everybody's awesome, but I don't think that's what people really want to hear. Yeah. And if you want an example of that, just read any coverage of any other sport where the athletes are just incessantly mocked and they came up short. And they, you pretty much, in any other sport, if you don't win the Super Bowl or the championship that year, you came up short and you sucked. You did not get the job done. So we could be even harsher, actually, if you want to go by the standards. Every other athlete gets, this is their job. They're making money. The yeah. way it is.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like we're doing all right. Um.
1: Yeah, I mean, look at LeBron James, my God. Just and unbelievable, the fire he took. He was the best player in basketball, but he had not won a title, so he basically sucked.
2: Speaking of mocking, people may want an update uh, on the last podcast we did where JT's, JT did well in a fantasy MX league, and one of his choices uh, for his prizes was uh, $500 worth of motor work from 1110 mods to which Weege <laughs> – Almost had a heart attack on the podcast from laughing so hard. Um, JT, can you give us an update, please, on the prizes?
0: Uh, Yes, I was. uh, That prize was actually taken, believe it or not, by the time I got to it. So uh, I opted for a cash buyout, uh, which I feel was the the best move, and I feel Wygant would approve.
2: I feel like that is by far your best move. (laughs) Like, cut the losses, take the cash. Absolutely. Yes. All right. So. Good luck to the uh, gentleman who won the five hundred dollar eleven ten uh, motor mods. Let us know how that works out. Um, all right, we each first letter. Let's do it. We'll, we'll take turns here going through this, and uh, we may split this into two. We may lose JT for a little bit, uh, but yeah, let's let's try to let's try to rip through these. Uh,
1: JT will definitely have some insight on this one. First question comes: uh, It is how will Zach Osborne do at the ISTE? I saw Ryan Sipes name in the entry list. I I wasn't aware of that. But uh, let's talk about motocross guys hitting the off-road. I believe it helps their overall skills in the motocross track. This is from Greg Johnson, uh, who works for the the American Generator Company. JT, let's talk about Osborne racing some off-road. I know that you were a huge fan of this program when you mm-hmm. raced the GNCC to prepare for the
2: Nationals No, No blowback at all from JT on this. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, I, I honestly don't know. And <clears throat> honestly, for the off season, like this time of the year, I think it's fine. It's it's not uh, a really big time for preparation for anything. And if he thinks it's uh, something he really wants to do, which he clearly does, then go for it. Uh, as for how it will do, I honestly I don't know. Um, I don't know that much about ISe. I mean, I've watched a little bit of highlights here and there, but they have to work on their bikes and. Uh, basically kind of maintain them mid-race by themselves, correct? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so...
1: Changing moose tubes. What's that? Changing moose tubes.
0: Yeah, and, and that that whole side of it, I, I'm not real sure how, you know, how he's skilled basically, you know, are prepared to do that. Those guys are, uh, from what I know, they're very good at it and very well-versed and experienced and all that stuff, and they're going to be way ahead of the curve as far as knowing what to expect, so... Uh, I wouldn't expect him to set the world on fire, but uh, purely riding skills, I think he'll excel at that. It's just going to be all the little nuances that go on there that you may struggle with.
1: ISDE is kind of a weird deal where, uh, because of that it's six long days and all the mechanical element, I think people think that it's actually the gnarliest race ever, but if you can avoid stupid, weird stuff happening, like obviously if you ride a bike for six days, it could blow up. Obviously, it could blow up. But if everything goes okay... The race is really decided on the special test where it's just one lap of a grass track or even a motocross track at times on the stopwatch. It's not like um, the Erzberg Rodeo and those events where it's just the most technical riding ever. And, in fact, most of the Europeans that do well, they're just straight-up fast. They're not the gnarliest guy in the rocks or hills. They're just fast. So I think that's why they would, <laughs> AMA would like to get motocross guys on the team. Obviously not many are wired to the point where they want to do it, but Zach is. Speed-wise, it could be good to have a guy like that on there,
2: but yeah, he has
1: to avoid the weird stuff that he won't know how to fix.
2: Well, there's one day that's a complete just motocross test. It's a motocross track and everything else. So,
1: yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, that's why a lot of the guys that do well over there, I think Johnny Albert is, or however you pronounce it, is considered Albert. the
2: best.
1: Albert is considered the best in the game right now, and he's obviously came from a motocross background. That's not a that's not an accident.
2: I uh, I've gone on record. I it's a terrible move for Zach Osborne. He's an idiot. Oh, really? Uh, yep, he's. Yeah. Uh, missing the motocross nations to go in the jungles of italy sweat his balls off change moose tires and and basically hate life and he's skipping the motocross nations for puerto rico so he has let puerto rico down and i'm sure those those citizens will not be happy with him so i've said my and i think he's
1: spending money he's spending his own money to do it
2: well then for you that's definitely a no-no
1: <laughs> it should be for anyone at that level <laughs>
2: uh all right next question
1: all right uh <clears throat> Could you guys take a step back and look at the way KTM is positioning themselves globally? We'll be looking back in 10 years and saying, this is when KTM started the takeover. And what about Husqvarna? Do you see a Husqvarna team in the U.S. soon? Thanks, Alex. Uh, yeah. Obviously, KTM, We, we thought, it's like every time you think they reach the limit, they grab even more and get even bigger. I mean, getting this Rockstar deal and, and getting Millsaps on board is big. And, hmm, the Husky deal. Well... They're so dominant in Europe now. They've pretty much said they need to fake having another brand out there to make it appear that KTM is beating someone. There's zero competition for KTM, especially in MX2 in Europe. So I think the Husky deal, they're like, okay, well, we beat somebody. We beat Husqvarna. It's Isn't pretty that weird as to get to that level of dominance?
2: Mike Fisher and Cliff Palmer must just be, you know, 20 years too, too early for those guys. <laughs> Um, yeah. Who would ever thought, uh, you know, there was a guy who delivered KTM its first American win ever, um, wrenching to glory on KTM. But, um, it's pretty. And, and, you know, as a guy who was there for the first two years, it's pretty remarkable where they're at right now, because it was, uh, kind of a clown show back then. And let's not forget, like they had the factory team. It was well-funded. It was pretty good. The the 125 was fast, but, you know, Grant Langston, uh, those bikes were fast. Then the Red Bull left them. They took a dive. They tried to come back with M D K and Jägermeister, and they farmed out their program and then they sorta of came back in with Michael Alessi and doing some things there. Um they got Roger and then but it still was like eh whatever, you know, they got Searle and Alessi, and good for them. Good good job guys. Um but in you know Ryan Dungey signing just that's it. Just catapulted them. And they're like a crack dealer. They, they got a little bit of success. They hit the vein with the Phoenix Supercross win, and they just want more. They just want more and more and more. And, uh, man, yeah, it's, it's scary how aggressive they are. And I don't know about the future. Uh, can you really, JT, can you really just put white plastic on a KTM, call it a Husky, and have anybody fooled or, or caring?
0: I don't. I don't think they care. I mean, I don't, I think that's that cat's kind of out of the bag, from what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't seem like they're trying to hide the fact of that's what their initial plan is. Um, and I don't blame them. They have a you know I think they have a very solid motorcycle. So if you know they're pushing into this Husqvarna category, why would they try to reinvent the wheel when they just did reinvent the wheel already? You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I just think to to use the knowledge that they've already acquired and and through all R&D they just did, uh, I think it's a smart move. I think it's going to give credibility in the quality of the motorcycle you know, immediately to the Husqvarna and kind of revive that program.
2: The one thing I worry about with them is you know, they're doing this to sell bikes. That's why they're spending all this money, and they want to sell motorcycles. And Like, no, not nobody, but the, the market is whatever number you want to give. I heard 75% from a guy at Yamaha. Uh, the market is 75% less. Total bike sales on and off-road from where it was at its peak. So, like, are they, you know, when they have five of the top ten guys and they have, they're sweeping the podium in Europe and they're winning everything, they're still selling. There's still 75% less bikes being sold. And keep in mind, they don't even make on-road bikes. They don't make street bikes or they make a couple, but they're not a huge huge players in there. So, like, Weege, uh, how much, you know, are they selling enough to justify this? I guess that's not for us to wonder about. But
1: uh, As odd as this might sound, um, <clears throat> I think what they're doing right now is successful enough to make it work. And I learned a lot of this from the off-road side when I go back to the GNCCs. They completely dominate that off-road market. They completely, completely dominate that off-road market. For years, KTM was the only brand without contingency, yet 50% of the bikes racing, and these are amateurs, or KTMs. Now the other teams aren't paying the contingency they used to, so now KTM is even more dominant. So I think that this Husqvarna move is not a move to grab more. It's to make sure that what they already have doesn't get messed up. So it's like, hey, if you want to stick out a little, if you don't want to be like everybody else riding a KTM, you can buy yourself a Husky. And that thing I'm saying where they're afraid of – it doesn't look like they're beating anybody else. They can at least give that illusion of, well, there's a factory Husky team here and we beat them, or maybe Husky beats KTM. Either way, they win. I think it's almost um, – it's a, it's a defensive move as much of it as an, uh, an offensive move. This eliminates any chance of anyone else grabbing that off-road market because the Japanese aren't even coming close to them there.
2: All right. Uh, next question. You want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. It's from Brian. Um, When a factory team is struggling with a setup during the Nationals, can they stay a day or two after a National to test, since the track would still be rough from the race? Maybe a dumb question. I know it would be expensive. But uh, if so, can you recall a time for any teams doing it Uh, from Brian? Um, Yeah, teams can do it. They have done it. I I know I've done – we tested with KTM one time after – Maybe after Glen Helen. I know I've done some magazine bike tests over the years the day after a national. Um, I know you don't want to ride the track the day after the national. Sweet Jesus. But not a bad idea, huh, JT? Uh, Yeah,
0: I think um, as long as you can get the track watered, um, that it's obviously it's a very similar race condition. Uh, The next day the track's going to be different. It's just nature takes its course on the the track. But um, it's still a – a very realistic or more realistic race environment than you're typically going to get in Southern California in the summertime. So uh, you see this usually happen with uh, prospective riders, um, guys that want to try the bike out. They can kind of have a controlled environment when nobody will be there, uh, or just just testing in general. Um, Probably the most common I've seen it is usually after the last national or close to then, the guys that are switching teams over to a new team will use that time to try the race bike on that, on that environment on a real track and, and mm-hmm. kind of get, uh, get it sorted out a little bit before the, you know, the following season and, and they can really make some progress in a
2: hurry. Yeah. Of course, maybe one of the most famous nafter national test JT that reminded me was, uh, Carmichael's first ride on a Honda was at the right. city the day after. So, yeah. and
0: That's pretty much yeah. what I was alluding to. I know it happens more than that, but that's obviously the most famous that I can think of.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Not a bad idea, but, um, yeah, I, I do think, I've always thought, we, you know, I've yelled at you about this theory over and over. Um, teams should go out east. It's expensive. Um, but teams yeah. should go out east and test and get their bikes ready and all that. So I, I've long thought yeah, that would I be better. Yeah, I think it happened idea.
1: more than most people know. Yeah. But it still doesn't happen a lot. I know um, Factory Connection, Guy Hondo, you everyone to call him, has done it once or twice. I point in Steel City and things like that. You have to do, remember, there are amateur races sometimes the day after, so they might have to wait all the way till say, a Monday, and that's probably yeah. not what anyone wants to do at that point.
2: Yeah, and don't, don't forget, uh, Brian, too, your, if you stay after the race, you still have to get ready for the next race. So you almost need to do it on an off weekend. There's not that many off weekends. It, you know, there's no, it'd be pretty tough for a whole team to stay back, test at a national track Monday, Tuesday, uh, then turn around, build your bikes, travel to the next race, um, get everything ready. You know, so there we go. Um, Tony, um, question number one: What's the real story behind the nationals not being held at Glen Helen? Weejah, uh, you're all behind. You're the real reason, from what I hear. You're yeah, I
1: ruined it. Right. I ruined it. Uh, my source is—I uh, mentioned this in the last podcast—Josh Grant's dad, who I saw at Elsinore, and mm-hmm. he said. Oh, I was there when they were on the phone, and it finally collapsed. It was bad. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really know too much about it, uh, but we've said this before. Uh, Glenn Helen has always been a square peg in the round hole of the Nationals, even in the NPG days, which was like 98 to, I think, 2008. When the Nationals were kind of loosely held together, Mm -hmm. there wasn't, there, there were, The rules weren't as hard and fast as they are now as far as the look and the name and the logos and all that stuff. Even then, it was like 11 races and then Glen Helen. And then at Glen Helen, everything was different. No, you the needed, banners yeah. different. Yeah.
2: You needed different, different, different passes.
1: Tickets you, were different. It was get so di- bizarre. You had to
2: get different passes sometimes, some yeah. years. Yep. Even if you had an industry hard yeah. card, um, they, they would have their own vending. They would really want to control their vending so that you would have yep. you know series people that pay – X amount of money to be there. Their competitor could be across from them at Glen Helen, and Glen Helen would just yeah. say, "Eh, sorry," you know. Yep. Um, yeah, I think. Just yeah, I think they're just uh, they know they have the best track in Southern California. Like, not according to J.T., but they probably do. Uh, I don't. I can't think of a better one. Yeah, good point. You're just not a fan of yeah. it. Um And 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 MBG or MX Sports has the Nationals, and they're both saying you need to do it our way, and it seems like they're not really. Finding that out, yeah. You know.
1: And I just—I know some people are going to say, "Hey, dude, you know, get over yourselves. Let them do what they want. The track is awesome. I mean, there's no doubt that those hills and everything—they're missed. I mean, that's a cool part of the series. Uh, but you can't—you just can't make any progress in a series at all if you have one track who's doing something like this. Like, I, for example, I know that every weekend at the Nationals, there's this push and pull between who's really selling the tickets. Is it the series MX Sports? Or is it the promoter that owns the track? They're obviously all entitled to their cut. Mm -hmm. In most of these discussions, you never even hear people mention the track. You know, everybody wants to compare MX Sports to Feld, who runs Supercross. But Feld is it. They run the event. They rent the stadium. They sell all the tickets In Motocross. There's two tiers. There's, like, say, Washougal. Those people own that track. They're not just letting people race there for free. Mm -hmm. So who gets a cut of what? So I can tell you, when people like us ask for guest passes, media passes, or whatnot, it gets very complicated yes. because the track doesn't want MX Sports giving away a bunch of freebies, and MX Sports doesn't want the track giving away a bunch of freebies, and they're all carefully. It has to be very well orchestrated to get all those people yeah. to not fight all the time. So it's hard. What are the chances of going back? I think we were all thinking it was looking pretty good, but now I'm hearing Elsinore well, uh, might be okay, so maybe not.
2: I, I predict they'll be back. I don't know when. I predict they'll be back. Michael and Helen. They bo- yeah. They both yeah. need each other. It'll happen. Um, uh, second question, do you think the Nationals return to Elsinore in 14? Weeds? you've been told they were. Oh. They would be. So,
1: Yeah, I thought it was a goner for sure, yeah. uh, just from the rumors we heard ahead of time. But um, then I heard, I talked to people after the fact. They're like, no, no, no big deal. It's not going to be, I think, a functioning practice track anymore during the week. But I think there will still be big events, not just the National, but some other stuff. So I think,
2: I think oh. it's back. We'll take J- JT can answer this one. Do you think JGR will ever get a top rider if they stay with Yamaha,
0: who that's a tough one. Uh, I, I haven't got a lot of feedback on the new the new bike, uh, but it's. I think it's going to hinge on. You know, much of the answer is going to hinge on that. Uh, the bike in its current form, from what I've seen, the 13. I think there. It's a tough road. You know, it's going to be very difficult to pull off. But yes, I mean, if they stay around, you're talking. You know, years and years. Of course, you know, Yamaha will get. Their their program turned around and and they have a very attractive program and good funding and all the kinds of things that you know top riders want. So sure, uh, you know if, if the team sticks around, it's going to happen sooner or later.
2: Maybe later though.
0: Well, <laughs> I and, mean, and I I don't know. I haven't look, I the, literally and and can, can be completely honest in saying I haven't talked to anyone that's ridden the fourteen. So
2: they uh, they tried I don't to know. they tried to get Dean Wilson, no go. Right. They tried to get. Jake Weimer. Tomac. No go. Tomac. No go. Um, Tickle. 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 No go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's tough. Um, And actually, but you know what? Uh, To be fair to JGR, RCH has tried to get Millsaps, Grant, Weimer, um, Tomac, um, Wilson, Reed. Reed now they they have also swung and missed on some big guys and um you know they've got Brock Tickle and he's a good rider but he's not and no offense to Brock Tickle and his family and his friends who are listening to this but he's not a marquee rider that RCH really wants and i think same with JGR and they just can't get these guys so
0: i do i do think that there are different reasons behind each of those, though. Okay. I, I agree right. with your main point, yeah. but I think there are different attributing
1: factors.
2: Yeah, Yeah. the bike is the, right. the factor of JGR. But, right. but whatever the case is, there's another team that's swung and missed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, so. Yeah, but I think the difference is that Yamaha and JGR, I think, have come in and said, how much money do you want? And yeah. Rocky said, We don't care. <laughs> right. Right. I don't think RCH yeah. has
2: done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I yeah. just want to not pick on yeah. JGR, Weege. No, okay. no, and
0: Weege. I'm trying to be very diplomatic right. about it. Weege. Basically, what you're saying.
2: JT, he didn't get invited to Brayton's wedding. So, you know, he's trying <laughs> to slam him anywhere right. he can.
0: Vengeance. Yes. He's, scorned, stuck on that he's a scorned woman.
2: Uh, all right, next question, Weege. Uh, let me ask it because it's kind of for me. Uh, from Scott right. in San Diego I'd like to see a Mathis podcast with Kevin Crower of the AMA. The AMA gets beat up all the time, so it would be good to get their side of the story. Um, Scott, I've asked Kevin for a podcast; he doesn't seem to be down with it. There, you know, some people like Roy Jansen, another guy. Roy just politely, kind of, sort of declined to be to do one. Um, Wege thinks it's because they know where the bodies are buried, which is a good analogy. Um, yeah, they, I've, what? Well, you've told me Did that I one time. To- yeah, you told me that one time. <laughs> You told me that one time. When did I say that? This oh. is
0: another classic example of Mathis telling, saying something that someone else, completely different person no, said, no, and then Weege. attributing it to uh, Weed, yeah. myself, or John Knowles. L- no, anybody. listen. It's yes. like
2: okay. It's like no Weed. You told hey, Metcalf,
0: me. Metcalf, JT says you suck balls.
2: No, listen. That was just Metcalf. ha ah, we're all fun with Metcalf. It's funny. With yeah, Metcalf. but
0: but Mathis has this this problem where he someone completely out of the loop we will tell him something, and then he'll say, oh, yeah, JT said that. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never said that. Okay. We've never even conversated about Leage that. Weege
2: told me that. It was a great analogy, and 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 it's not – and it's the same thing with Dave Prater. Dave Prater won't do one either. He's uh, done one. Yes, but he won't do another one. Um, <laughs> uh, Roy Jansen, Kevin Crowler, Dave Prater, they're the they're, they're big cheeses in their places. They often, if you – they don't want to be held to their words if something in a casual conversation gets said a wrong way or a different way or you know people can listen and go back and i and i buy it i i believe that uh, we each told me one time that they, they know where the bodies are buried and that was just a a i did not Yes, you did. It was brilliant. I'm giving you credit. I
1: agree with everything you're saying. It, they're, they're, it is too dangerous. They have too much to lose and nothing to gain. If you're the AMA guy, there is no way you're going to do an hour-long podcast with you or anybody and right all the wrongs that you think that people think you have created. I mean, there's just too much. Right, like just right. Piling the- on, like the AMA's done this and that. And why do you do this? and Why do you do Like, you can't win. I did not say they know where the body
2: is. Yes. Right. yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> um,
1: because... Two different things to say Well, he can't fix all these problems. It's another thing to insinuate that he's made decisions that are akin to murder. No,
2: and he doesn't want listen, to be no, no we're just we're joking, <laughs> obviously. But your point was, yes, they, they, they have too much to lose. And it's an old euphemism. I, you're
1: of, just matter-of-factly continuing this charade that yeah, I said.
2: <laughs> yes, you did. You said.
1: You your said. point when you made this thing that you didn't say.
2: <laughs> listen, all right, let's move on. We did you get the next one. It's number six.
1: The point you didn't make was brilliant. It was. <laughs> well, I appreciate
2: he made that, it. Man. He made it. Snap it. He made okay. it.
1: This is one of my favorites, and uh, we're actually talking about the evolution of the sport, and ironically enough, the guy's name is Darwin. Darwin <laughs> Duquette. Duquette, right? Why are the tracks so groomed, yet the bikes are so much better today? The riders should be struggling more to get in the groove if they are not prepared enough. The tracks should get somewhat rough. The tracks get somewhat rough as the day goes on, but nothing like the 70s and 80s. Um, I would like to feel this one. Um, they bring this around when I was a janitor at Disney World people used to ask me why doesn't Space Mountain have a loop in it anymore and I said Space Mountain never had a loop in it and they're like yes it did I remember coming here as a kid it was the craziest gnarliest ride ever Uh, you have to be careful of letting memories of the good old days make you think things were better than they are Uh, yeah they didn't groom tracks back in the day so go watch some footage of old nationals and see how dusty dusty the tracks were the tracks were pretty crappy actually back then um you can't just lay water down on a hard track you have to disc it up to oh. get the water to absorb etc 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 it's easy to say that they were man's tracks back then and they've been wussified now but uh, i honestly don't agree with that mm-hmm. and to further my point a couple years ago i think '06, in the many of the Steve Whitelock ideas that should not be followed. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. Whitelock said, we are not grooming the tracks at all. No touching the tracks all day long. No touching the tracks. So everybody that year got what they wanted. I don't think anyone remembers this because that's how big a hit it was. But the oh, writers were it. saying, <laughs> do you remember it?
0: Oh, yeah. The track
1: beat the crap out of me was every it awesome? week. They
0: didn't even touch it from the week before at Southwick,
1: not let alone
0: yeah. that weekend. And, uh,
1: Okay, so let me just let you take it from here. Was that awesome or not?
0: Uh, I think at Southwick it was better, but the rest of them, not a big fan. Southwick it was it was slower, uh,
1: not in shape, right?
0: No, no. I just think it was no. I just think the track was slower, therefore safer. If you you get what I'm saying, there were huge, massive sand bumps all the way around it, so you just couldn't go that fast. I think a lot of the stuff you see, big crashes at Southwick now, are because the speeds are so high. Uh, but as a general rule, no, there's many times where there's very dangerous aspects to the track and they need to go fix them. Uh, Case in point, at Utah, there was a big kicker in the middle of the track. Uh, I was actually standing out there with Carrie Joe, and, you know, there were many people, myself, a few other people, like, hey, you know, people are crashing here. Uh, It's really dangerous. Immediately went out as soon as they possibly could after the moto and and went and fixed it. Uh, Stuff like that, you can't just turn a blind eye to it. It's way too dangerous.
1: I also think that um, uh, you're kidding yourself if you think that you're going to have a corner with 15 ruts that are now a week old and that all 15 of those ruts are going to end up being about the same speed and you can pass. Uh, I remember that 06-year Brock Hepler, who is known for getting crap starts but being in really good shape, you would think he would love that situation. And he's like, no, like, by the time the second moto starts, 90% of the track is just pretty much useless. It's just a wasteland. Those ruts, you can't even go in them. So you're stuck with a one-line situation. It's a little easier to do a nip-and-tuck with a dozer to make multiple lines in a turn than just hoping that the track will naturally somehow develop multiple lines without any uh, assistance at all. I know it sounds cool to say the rougher the better, but I don't think it actually works. These
2: riders riders are pussies. They're pussies, all of them, every one of them. Yeah, yeah. I, Someone, I think
1: they change them because it's actually better that way. I know that's hard to believe, but I think it really is.
2: I watched an '84 Southwick on YouTube. What a pile of shit! I mean, seriously, <laughs> dangerous, friggin' dangerous. There's so much dust. Um, and, and JT, you know, um, yeah, that, that's I, the Gatorback,
0: I the last year they ever had it there, and I honestly, the first lap, I couldn't see anything. Yeah, like how nothing? Like, that's not.
2: very I'm not dangerous. talking about it.
0: it. Was a little dusty, and <laughs> I was kind of having to pick my way. I couldn't see anything.
2: Right, right, yeah. So. Uh, tracks are tracks are rougher now because the bikes are. Bigger, faster, it, um, they're four strokes, they have more torque. There's no doubt the tracks of today, I think, are rougher um, than the old national tracks. In my mind, anyways. Just because, too, they're ripped up and watered, which they never were back then. Um, Alright, next question. I'll get this week um, from Kenneth. Yep. With riders entering at such young ages, do you think a size minimum should be enforced for riders under 18? As long as there's not a maximum size for journalists, I'm Okay. Uh, there has to be some sort of liability with underaged riders. Look how tiny Bell and AC are on their bikes. Their bodies are still developing, and we have them launching a seventy-foot onto hard pack supercross track with sands. Their bikes, or basically starving themselves to fit into Alden's crazy regimen. Conspiracy theory. I believe that Alden's program is why AC got sick. We all know it's true. I love the people that say we all know it's true. Right. Um. Yeah. Just like the Chad Reed. Uh, the the call from the pulp show where the guy said Chad Reed was dope sick and he's like we all know it we all see it Yeah, (laughs) I love that Um, he says it's a conspiracy theory then he says we all know it's true which are not exactly go together Um, we all saw we all saw how sick Ryan got a couple of years ago because of it but he recovered quicker because he was hardier anyways thanks for listening to my dumb questions and theory and all caps two strokes so, um, Kenneth, yes, does, that's a
0: great way to, uh, yeah. validate your, your claim. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the um, all caps, two strokes. no, there shouldn't be a, a minimum size. It's motocross and no, yeah, Zach Bell and, and AC do look like 14 year old girls. They are small, but, um, they'll get bigger and they can beat you, Kenneth on a dirt bike. So, um, you know, not, you know, I just don't think there sh- I think there should not be a size minimum in the class. Do either one of you? Okay, we,
1: we need to, uh, I'm going to ask for a revision on this podcast. We, we went over that we think that professional motocross riders are fair game to mock every once in a while, and we shouldn't be too harsh on these loyal readers who have been nice enough to send us questions. I don't think Kenneth said that he was able to beat AC or Bell on the motocross track.
2: No, he didn't. He didn't. But he did not. it's a, it's a silly letter. Silly letters deserve to be called silly names
0: we just wait six months, and that guy will indeed have said that. Mathis will proclaim that he did.
2: Uh, oh,
1: good point. oh, you're Kenneth, the one that said you could beat. Uh, yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. Well, here they are. Let's race them. <laughs> No, I mean, it's a silly question. Look, I don't even know why you picked it for this podcast. It's a silly question and deserves a silly response.
1: Well, I, in general, you can find riders of all shapes and sizes who have performed the same. You can't just say that because Zach Bell is crashing – it's strictly because he's small, and so small. any other rider who's small would also crash his brains out. There's just a million other variables out there. Zach Bell has been known as a crasher pretty much his whole amateur career. I don't know if he was 30 pounds heavier, if that would just change everything. I mean, Damon Bradshaw was a crasher. He was big, you know. It, it happens all the time. So I think that's why. Now let's address the conspiracy theory, please. Let's address that.
2: Well, you yeah. take that? Alden's pro – I mean, you know what? Actually, Kenneth may have something uh, as far as AC got oh. sick. But maybe just in terms of um, AC himself, you know, these guys, they're driven. They're they are athletes. They're driven. They have a lot of desire. They want to be the best of the best. And um, maybe AC was pushing himself too hard um, at times on the bicycle or whatever. I, I don't know enough about Alden's program. Clearly, I'm not on it. Uh, and there are people in the pits who think that um, JT that alt that AC wore himself down, and I know you've heard that too.
0: Uh, yeah, I can understand where people think that, um, but at the same time, I, I I'm not really I, I can't buy into that yet because I don't think that uh, Adam's been doing this program for a really long time to where you know he was hurt. He wasn't even on this program for very long, so. Uh, it's not like he just was just going straight through for years and just wore himself down and got sick. I mean, he was coming off an injury where he just had kind of started riding and doing all this stuff. So uh, I don't think that was the
1: case necessarily in this situation.
2: All right, next question, Weech. You gonna read it?
1: I walked away from the papers because I was waiting okay. for everyone to, to weigh okay. in on this. I don't. Uh, I'll I ahead. don't buy any of the Alden wears his guys down uh, thing. I think he knows better than most. Um, Remember, two years ago, he had worn Villapoto down. <laughs> yeah, that, him. Was,
2: that was the word. Right, and then at the end of the right. season,
1: Villapoto actually got stronger with each race. He actually did the same thing this year. I know it's a little bit different when you're applying it to a 16-year-old, but I'll take Alden's track record of like 90 percent success. And every once in a while, a dude gets sick. Hey, they all get sick at some point with different trainers. I think he. Uh, I think he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, next. Next letter. Uh, what is the big bear that hangs out next door to the lion's den? What are we talking about there? Is that a pulp thing? I think so, yeah. Okay. Just move on. All right, so this is Jeff. He says, uh, it looks to me that Japan provides a lot of special, special factory parts for the Japanese bikes, and KTM sends a lot of stuff from Austria for Roger D's machines. But it seems like not too many special factory bits are there on the Yamaha or Suzuki bikes. Yamaha no factory team, Are they relying exclusively on JGR? Suzuki seems to not be holding much since they only have JF-7 and not anyone on a 250F. Seems like not much factory help here. Um, I think there's more factory help than it appears on the Suzuki side. Uh, All the teams, from what I can see, and and Matt, you've worked for them, they all have completely different levels of uh, how much influence Japan has, and it's much bigger than just the motocross team. It's their whole corporate structure. I'll give you an example. Suzuki used to be so heavily influenced by Japan that their offices could not have any displays of any kind. No posters, banners, logos. They wanted to have the, the most plain offices ever because in Japanese parlance, that's bragging. And you shouldn't do that. You don't hang up championship trophies or posters. That's the kind of influence Suzuki had from Japan. Other companies didn't. So they all have different ways of doing it. I actually think that Stewart's bike has more of a Japan influence than some of the others out there, even though it Suzuki is holding back. Uh, I don't think Suzuki builds as many of the cool parts for his bike here as some other teams do.
2: Yeah, I, um, I agree.
1: Tell me, they just get boxes. Yeah,
2: I agree. Like, Suzuki, what did
1: Japan send us today?
2: The Suzuki's yep. trick, uh, and they've and yeah. had the same bike for a number of years, so a lot of things still fit from when they, you know, had a major powerhouse team. But no, the Suzukis are pretty trick. They've got some, a lot of magnesium. They use a ton of mag. And of course, the the motor stuff all inside is, is a lot of it still works and fits, and um, no, the Suzuki stuff is good. The Yamaha, though, yes, uh, not sure what's going on with that. The J.GR guys are homegrown on that bike. Um, they seem to be anyways. Um, when I was at Yamaha, we got transmissions and, you know, uh, hubs and covers. Some pistons, some four-stroke pistons were from Japan, but a lot of stuff we just got made in in, in the U.S. Um, to our specs. Uh, clamps, linkages, um, little tiny little special pieces and parts and things like that. Gytr stuff, um, all made in the USA. So, yeah, I agree. The Yamaha probably has the least, but I think the Suzuki's fine. Um, and, well, funny story though, it's so fine that even. Um, uh, some some work Suzuki parts ended up on the BTO Suzuki bike of Jason Thomas. Uh, I don't know where those came from, but um, hmm. they seem to have a lot of parts for guys like JT, too.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know anything about that. Were they really?
2: Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah, wow. it, was, it was pretty cool. Um, That's news to me. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how he got it, but um, I thought to myself... Was that what?
1: from the Florida branch of American Suzuki?
2: I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. I don't know. That's Florida a cool story. They had. I'm not um, sure. I remember thinking to myself, "Wow, you know, even Thomas has got some work stuff." Um, you know, there's so much of it out there. So,
1: I think again, what I'm saying is, it's not just uh, the budget of the teams; it's just everybody has a, compl- a different yeah. relationship. And like, I don't even know how uh, Kawasaki. I think is pretty hands on with Japan.
2: No, the no, they always
1: have a Japanese president.
2: No, Cowie. Oh well, maybe their their company Cowie bikes are maybe the most American made uh, and, and quote unquote Americanized bikes out there. Um, Cow- so, Cow- corporate-wise,
1: they have a lot of Japan supervision, where Suzuki, it seems like, doesn't. But bike-wise, Kawasaki is actually less.
2: Yeah, Japan. yeah, yeah. And lots of uh, lots of stuff from Mitch, lots of stuff done in, in America. Um, and Honda, at least, and I haven't checked it for a few years, but the Honda mechanics literally get a... And I don't know if this is still true, but they used to, you know, uh, when I was a mechanic, so six, seven years ago, they would get their race bike shipped to them in a crate. Built. Built completely. Here you go. Here's a works bike. Uh, You know, production frame, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, probably. Uh, Production frame, production everything. The the foot pegs were mounted, the forks were on it, shock was on it. Here you go. Um, Your whole bike. So that's how much they did it. So yeah, different, very different ways for everybody.
1: I think on the Yamaha end, um, Yamaha, even though they don't have a factory team, they still have a staff, and they still uh, build parts, and like, anyone that is on the Yamaha sport teams are welcome to try them. Um, so there's still a level of Yamaha work, but I don't know if that's, again, like a Kawasaki-type deal where a lot of that's developed here. Yeah,
2: or developed I, I think Japan. so. I mean, even when I was yeah. there, you know, Reed Villam, and Ferry, three legends of the sport, we mm-hmm. didn't – there wasn't much Yamaha Japan effort. Like, racing, they they farmed it out to a – you know, they had Narita back then, and they farmed it out to a, a, a team in Japan to run the factory Yamaha team. You know what I mean? There was no – Giant arm of Yamaha Racing, that just wasn't yep. wasn't wasn't there. So, uh, next question for JT, he can answer this best. How much do you think Chad Reed missing most of twenty twelve factors into him going to all these races this year while he was sick to satisfy his sponsors? Uh, his injury last year, he tore his knee up uh, in Dallas, missed the rest of the year. Yep. How much do you think that had to do with uh, well? This
0: year? I think, yes, it did definitely play a factor in him needing to race, uh, without a doubt. Uh, I think it contributed to a lot of things. I think it contributed to his results. I think it's contributed to sponsors kind of forcing the issue on, hey, you got to race. We know you have problems, but you need to be there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I absolutely think that there is, uh, you know, there's a lot to that.
2: Right. Um, hey, with that, let's take a, a quick commercial break here on the show and uh – uh Pay some bills, listen to some sponsors, btosports.com, Thor MX. Uh, listen to these sponsors, and we'll be right back after these, uh, this quick commercial break.
0: the racer x podcast show is brought to you by btosports.com whether you are looking for new gear helmets boots or you need to rebuild your bike from the ground up bto is your source for all of your motocross needs as a proud sponsor of the bto sports ktm race team and
1: the heart of the bto sports amateur motocross team it is obvious that we are about more than being just a store we support the sport that supports us us we at bto sports want
2: to give back to you the listener for supporting us and the racer x podcast show use coupon Code PulpMX when placing your order at BTOSports.com for a VIP
0: listener discount. Certain brand restrictions will apply. 2013, JT Racing enters its next generation with the all-new Evolve Light, ProTech, Enduro, and Limited Edition collections, taking quality and innovation to
1: a whole new level. Also available in youth sizes, each collection is built with high-grade materials, offering its own unique characteristics to meet the demands of today's riders,
0: both recreationally and competitively. To find a dealer or view the entire collection online, log on to JTRacingUSA.com
2: championship proven many motocross apparel brands make that claim but only thor can back it up as america's first motocross apparel brand thor has set the standard for delivering the highest quality performance race wear on the market for the past 45 years with champions like ryan Villopoto, blake baggett and dean wilson to name a few our products truly are championship proven to see all the new 2013 products, visit thormx.com or head to your local Thor Parts Unlimited dealer. Thor, the official racewear of Supercross. We're back. Um, all right, next question, Weege, uh, number ten. I'll, let me. I'll ask it. Uh, Weege, okay. if, if Ryan Dungey and Roger DeCoster had both stayed at Suzuki, would he be closer to Villapoto in speed and wins? Um, I still do not understand why Dungey would have followed Roger to KTM. He hasn't been as close to Villapoto since he got off the yellow bike. It has to have damaged his career. Thank you for doing the podcast, Matt.
1: Um,
0: Let me – I want in on this.
2: Okay, all right, Jesus.
0: Yeah,
1: well, wow. go ahead, JT.
0: Passionate. No, go ahead, Weed. I just want my turn at it, too. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think that's the case. I think the KTM has uh, over-delivered. Uh, I know that Dungey was a little bit closer in the outdoors to Villapoto and 11 on the Suzuki. But I think Villapoto has actually made huge strides since then. Villapoto really barely got it together in 11 to the level we expected them to be. I think 13 was much more of the Villapoto on a 450 outdoors that we expected all along. Uh, I don't think that there's a big drop off at all. I think Dunge and DeCosta are right where they would be, um, if, regardless of what color of bike they have. And They did a good job getting that KTM to where the Suzuki probably was.
2: All right. JT? Uh, well,
0: <clears throat> I. Well, all, Matt, I, I don't <laughs> think it's hurt his career at all. Um, I think it was a good move. I, I know he was, for whatever reason, you want to, you know, that was, he would have to answer it. He was unhappy at Suzuki. Uh, it's, you know, we've all talked about this. He wanted off the bike. Uh, he was pretty vocal about it at the last couple of nationals and Motocross of Nations that year that he wanted off the Suzuki. Um He wanted to be with Roger. He, you know, Roger's, who brought him up, and he wanted to follow him. And then there's the financial side. You know, I think uh, financially, I think his Suzuki deal was in the seven or eight hundred range of if that's, you know, that's what I was told. Uh, And then it went to the two point five range at KTM. So uh, just financially, it's a huge move. And if you watch, you know, the last couple years, I don't think there's been that much of a drop off. I mean, he pretty much dominated everyone last year. So
2: yeah, I uh, I'm more in line with Wege. Like RV got better. Yeah, yeah, that's right. what I'm saying. I yeah. don't
0: think that it had. It's it's. I think he made a lot more money, and I think he set himself up moving forward uh, based off. You know, if you look at KTM's future versus Suzuki's future as far as their involvement in pro racing, I think it's. I think it was a positive move. I, I don't think it's. You could even view it negatively in any way.
2: Wege, uh, poor Mike Webb. Um, Roger leaves. Mike Webb takes over, a long-time Suzuki guy, and a good guy. Um, he, you know, the chain call, falls off Dungey's bike. Not not Mike's fault or not, not Goose's fault. Then he runs out of fuel at Texas. And during the year, Mike Webb was like, yeah, you know, we're thinking of signing him or we want him back, you know. And looking back on it, there was no chance in hell. Mike Webb was screwed from the start with Ryan Dungey.
1: Yeah, and the rider's psych is such a hard to describe, but – ultra-important uh, thing in this sport. A lot of times you can look at things from a logical perspective, but that's not the perspective the riders are actually looking uh, through for whatever reason, essentially because Coster, I think, he was the first one that believed in Dungy. R- riders, it seems like, especially at that level, uh, they're very guarded. They they don't have trust for everyone. They they never really know where people are coming from. A lot of people are trying to tell them what they want to hear. It's hard to find people they can really count on. Hold and on I a I think second. Dungy's Hold done on that with Coster. What's that?
2: Hold on. You're 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 exactly right. But don't yeah. you find that these most most of these riders, not Ryan Dungey though, most of these yeah. riders love the ass kissing and gr- welcome these guys into their circle who tell them they're awesome?
1: Well, yeah, but at the same time that means you're going to get some bad advice somewhere down the road. Oh, of course, yeah, they uh, never right?
2: they never know it, but
1: Well, yeah. So I think Dungey's just trying to say I don't even know what's going on. I do know this Roger seems to steer me in the right direction all the time, so I'm not even going to listen to anybody else. That's my guy. I think he ended, that was the end of it.
0: Yeah. And I I think also um, that at the time I I had heard that that Dungey was basically had people looking into how he could get out of his Suzuki contract uh, to go with Roger at at that time. And I heard a few people say that Roger was kind of like, uh, Let's just wait a year. I need to I need to build this bike and develop it and get it ready. Uh, we're not quite ready for you yet. I'd love to have you, and if you know if it, that's what it comes down to, of course we'll make it happen. But uh, I think that Roger knew they weren't quite ready for him yet. So do
2: you think? Do you think if Roger had wind a tornado, Ryan Nudie trying to be avenged Pingree's a uh, Pingree's tor- disastrous tornado experiment?
0: <laughs> he gave him a couple years to develop it.
2: <laughs> Maybe. Um, All right, Corey's got a question. I am from Ontario, Canada, so clearly I'm a huge Mathis fan. Yes, Corey. Um, Wow. Over here, or he should say up there, not over. It's not over anywhere. It's just up. Uh, Up here, they've recently allowed 252 strokes to line up against 250 Fs in the Nationals, Canadian Nationals. What do you think of this rule, and do you think the AMA should do the same? I think it's great. Old school racers would agree, and it would make it easier in the wallet, Uh, not to mention a sweet smell of synthetic oil. Again, Corey, you probably should have left that last line out. Your email would make more sense. Like now we're thinking you just love smelling the exhaust of bikes and perhaps you're affected a little bit. Um, what do you think, JT? Um, uh, this, was yeah, honestly, a, uh, this is probably only one of 20 you got, each, huh, of this?
1: Yeah, this is uh, the question of questions. This is the <laughs> one. Right. Like this podcast cannot be complete until we attack this subject, the police-drug right. subject.
0: Right. Yeah. <sighs> So he basically wants he wants two stroke equality.
2: What do we think of that rule? And should the AMA do the same?
0: Right. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see it uh, in pro racing where we can just line them up against each other. Well, uh, Canadian
2: pro and Australian pro do it, but yeah.
0: Yeah. American, here, right. I, here right. is what I mean. I, I don't think we're going to see that. Uh, just there's just too way too many politics uh, involved and. In, uh, I mean, it could happen. Stranger things have happened, but I honestly just don't think, I don't think that two strokes in a 250 F are really that fair. Uh, There's way too many other factors involved. And then, you know, you hear the argument of, oh, let's, you know, let's build a 450 two stroke and then put them against 454 strokes. That's never going to happen either. Um,
2: Wait a minute though. Um, And this boils down to a competitive aspect in Canada. Uh, Sean Moffenbayer, one of the top riders, he was the two stroke guy. He did win the last race, but and he got hurt at the in to start the season. But other than that, he was just a top five guy. And in Australia, on a two fifty versus two fifty, I uh, guess the four strokes won. So when you said it's not fair, I don't know. Might be closer well, I don't, than I don't,
0: we thought. Think. Think I'm not saying the two fifty two stroke is much better.
2: Oh, okay. All I right. just think yeah. there's
0: I think you start Having to figure out, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna make 252 strokes legal again, okay? So are we gonna run the same fuel that they had to run? Because that was a nightmare. Um, the, the fuel that they were running at Supercrosses and Nationals, those guys, if they ba- if they stopped or paused their bike at any second, they fouled their spark plug. So is that what we're going back to? Because that's a joke. Fifty dollar a gallon gas, and and your bikes won't even run on it. Um, So I just think there's a lot of factors you'd have to look at before you'd even consider something like that to do it here at a a top level. um, I I don't know. I'm just basically, my opinion, I think that we don't really need to do it that way. If we're going to have a two-stroke race, let's just have a two-stroke race and have them separate and try to combine them. It's just you're comparing apples to oranges, and the displacements are all different. I just don't think it really works.
2: What do you think, Wage?
1: Well, I think we know where all the fans are going with this. They want two strokes back for a million reasons. The fans want two strokes back for a million reasons and many of those reasons are good. So one way to make it happen is make two fifties, race two fifties. The two fifty two stroke beats the two fifty four stroke and it flips the entire market on its ear. It brings the two stroke market back. Factory teams abandon four strokes, start racing two strokes because they want to win and everybody gets what they want. Like, let's put that out there. That's clearly what the fans want, correct? Yeah. Yeah, put, let the 250s race to 250s so we can start giving the two-strokes momentum to retake over the sport. The problem is, it sounds good to just say, AMA, make the rule. Make it. Make the rule and let everybody deal with it. But that is not how this sport works. Uh, give an example. Uh, when all the pro series were up for grabs, the folks at Daytona took AMA road racing, and they said, okay, we're NASCAR. We know what we're doing. You guys don't. Here are the new road racing rules. And then all the factories said, F you, we're not racing
2: anymore. <laughs> well, and we don't, like, we don't r- like this. Yeah, We don't like yeah. these rules. No,
1: they pretty much, yeah. they literally said, that's not the way we work. We're out. Honda, out. Everybody, out.
2: Cowie, uh, Suzuki. Yeah, everybody.
1: Cowie, out, yeah. Suzuki, not the same level that they were. Uh, Yamaha's winning, but they were in a KTMish situation where, like, everybody else pulled back and Yamaha's winning. So that's not even great for Yamaha. Point is, these teams... And these manufacturers, they will play hardball. It's just not that easy to pass the rule and let them suffer. And you might say, well, hey, you're holding the series. Let them deal with it. But the whole economic model for the sport, the teams have an easy argument to make. They spend millions of dollars on Ryan Villopoto, Jake Weimer, the teams, the bikes, bringing that show to the races, plus all the promotion Kawasaki does. There's Kawasaki Commercial on TV – you know, Kawasaki helps the local dealers put ads in the paper, which, which promotes the sport. The teams and manufacturers do so much, just monetarily, to help promote these series that they are not going to take kindly to all of a sudden having no say in anything. And if they do have a say in anything, there's no way they're going to vote for two strokes. It just ain't going to happen.
2: And, and let's face it, there's only two companies right now making them. And why are there only two companies making them? Because when the four strokes came out, the, you people, us, all of us, overwhelmingly bought four strokes. We loved them. We, we could be lazy. They were fast. They were easy to ride. We bought so many four strokes, the OEM said, Give them more. Give them more. Stop with the two stroke sales. So, you know, the whole, and of course, part of that reason is because the AMA and the ridiculous rule of it was a 600cc four stroke, you know, was the first rule. So, yes, the AMA screwed up with the rule, not being very uh open minded. Yamaha took advantage of that, made a bitch and bike that dominated. people bought them, realized that they could dominate, and realized that they were easier to ride, hence the great sales, hence the the goodbye two strokes, and that's where we're at. I was told the the OEMs in Canada uh allowed this rule change up there, but then I didn't ask the follow-up question whether or not the OEMs even knew about the motocross series. So uh, <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot to follow up with that question. But somehow <laughs> Honda, Kawasaki, and Suzuki, that's what I was told, said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, two strokes. We don't make one, but yeah, go ahead. Um, so which is amazing to me that they would allow this. But you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a partnership. Um,
1: these they don't peop- have the stake in that Canadian series that they do here. And no, half of them don't even no. really put out factory teams. N- their There's only one. Right. There's only one. So there's a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, it'd be easy for name the brand. I, I mean, like I just said, I just threw out Kawasaki because they have the champ Filippoto. But it's very easy for them to say, we are spending millions of dollars. We are providing the salary for the star of your series. His money comes from us, not you. Yeah. We all know the purse money ain't even there, and we're not going to overnight get the purse money to be four million dollars <laughs> from yeah. Filippoto. Oh. So they have a
2: stake in it. And I, I myself, being a bit of a gearhead. Uh, two strokes hadn't changed for, God, maybe 10 years? You know, I know when I went to Yamaha in 2003, our 2004 YZs, we were putting on McGrath cylinder heads to test. You know, 99, 98. Uh, you know, so they had MC carved in them. Um, they had not changed forever, and they still don't change. And another thing about the two strokes. Did you know that the YZ250, the last time I checked, it was only $800 less than a 450? So like, hey, Yamaha, you want to sell more? You talk about these cheap entry-level bikes and low maintenance and this and that. Maybe make it cheaper than $800 only, less, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a cluster, but I'm I just I, I'm with you guys. I don't see it happening. I just don't see it going on. And, but from a competitive level like i said in canada and australia the four strokes are still and of course jt as you know as a racer it's it's you know the talent that the talent comes through on a motorcycle but it didn't didn't affect it
0: yeah i think if you took uh uh, okay i think if you took the you know went like blake baggett took blake baggett or dean wilson uh put that you know gave them their um, you know, or Tomac, took their, gave them their factory race bike, Tuva DF, and then you gave them a 252 stroke uh, and said, go ride, go ride them, and you pick. You have a 12 round series with all kinds of different terrain and all this stuff, and see which one they pick. I have a very strong feeling that they would pick the Tuva DF because those bikes are incredible. They really, really are. Uh, if you're talking stock versus stock, maybe you have a different argument. But the level that those bikes are developed to now, I really feel like that they would pick their two the DFs.:: All right.
2: Uh, we the next Well, part. the
1: whole argument, there's just so many variables. I mean, yeah, the two-strokes aren't as competitive, but the two-stroke chassis are also, what, 2005s at best? It's probably the last time any of them got any changes. So you're comparing, we think we're comparing engines, but you're comparing other things. I remember when they had that two-stroke race at Redbud a couple years ago and Carmichael raced it comes into the TV truck after that, and we're like, man, how awesome is that to rip on an RM250? And he's like, dude, bikes have come so hard, far in eight years. He's <laughs> like, that chassis was just flexing all over the place. That bike sucks. Not, nothing to do with the two-strokeness. Nothing to mm-hmm. do with the engine. Just you're yeah. racing a 2005 RM250. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's so hard to compare. And can I finally throw out my argument that no one ever agrees with me on? Throw it out again.
2: That, no thing, that, you. that you know where the bodies are buried?
1: <sighs> yeah. Soon I will have said that. Okay. If you're a manufacturer and you make four-stroke cars, watercraft, street bikes, uh, ATVs, snowmobiles, etc., etc., they've all moved away from two-strokes for the most part, even power equipment, generators, lawnmowers. Why would you spend millions of dollars in an ultra-competitive environment, which motocross is? You have to update the bikes every year to sell, what, a couple of thousand units when you're like, we could just take a cylinder off of this street bike a cylinder off this quad, and make it all basically one engine, I just don't think it's a realistic model. Um, Yeah, I know they have some high-tech outboard motors that are two-strokes for boats, Mm -hmm. but I've read about that. It's totally different to have a boat which just works at one throttle setting and just goes. Compared to a motocross bike where you're on and off the throttle, it doesn't work the same. So I I still think deep down inside, it doesn't work for any of the manufacturers to develop two-strokes exclusively for motocross. No one uh, agrees with me on that.
2: Uh, next question, Weege.
1: Well, can we just skip while we're on this subject? I'm going to skip the number 19.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Which is that KTM makes a 300 two-stroke. If they made it uh, purpose-built for motocross and supercross because it's an enduro bike, would it work? Uh, would it be better? Would it be competitive? Um, so, uh, JT, what do you think? If they did start allowing bigger bore two-strokes in the 450 class, is that uh, realistic, or is that would that tip things?
0: Uh, I think it would be. You'd give them a chance. Um, yeah. You know, I went through this and, in two thousand and three. No, uh, the end of two thousand two, and this is the you know infant stages of the four stroke revolution. Uh, the Honda four four fifty had come out that summer, um, so I, I went out and bought one, and I'd been racing a YZ two fifty all summer uh supercross i'd done really well on it i went was racing it outdoors and it was just struggling you know i couldn't beat guys that i would i knew i was better than they were on honda 450s and i just couldn't beat them uh went out i went got 22nd place at millville scored no points i went like 21 22 went out bought a honda uh 450 went to binghamton the next weekend and got ninth didn't do anything different didn't great get great starts didn't do anything crazy Uh, it was just a huge difference. Uh, The bike was just not competitive. Uh, So do I think that if you started raising the displacement on a two of the two-stroke to a 300 or a 350 and then uh, basically what I think it would take, yes, that would be part of it. But you would also have to get the manufacturers to continue their development. Uh, They can't just be complacent with how far they've come with the bike and just leave it and not change the frame and not update all these things and use all the technology they've learned from four-stroke development on the chassis and all this stuff. Uh, so if you apply all of those things, plus you add displacement, sure, I think they could be competitive.
2: Geez, JT, remember like an 02, 03? There was 24 Hondas on the line out of 40, out a few nationals. The 450s? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it I mean, if you, there was a time where if you weren't on one, you were, you know, you had yeah. no chance. You know, wow. if you didn't have a wing, you didn't have a prayer. Well,
2: Tim Ferry and I, we we beat a few Hondas.
0: Well, you and you guys had factory bikes, and the Yamahas were okay, but that Honda yeah. was
2: just
1: revolutionary.
2: It was, yeah. All right, number. Well, two. Wait a minute, though. Here's here's
1: the reason I wanted to read this question. Oh. is that there was a time when there were big bore two strokes, and they weren't necessarily um, awesome. Isn't part of the problem of two-strokes, it doesn't really apply to 250s or 125s, but once you build a two-stroke with that kind of displacement and that kind of power, doesn't it become much less manageable to ride, whereas a a four-stroke and a 450, it doesn't have the same impact. A 454-stroke can be fast and yet easy to ride, where a 500 two-stroke was basically untamable by any mortal man. So isn't that part of the problem, the general way a two-stroke develops power? Yeah, makes think, it impossible to make a big bore one work.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah.
0: Well, I think I think yes and no. Um I don't think you have to go all the way to a 500 to be mm-hmm. to fix the issue. Uh I think yep. there are there are manageable numbers that you can go to. And also it's the chassis. Um you put a, you know, we're talking about obviously talking about what the 500 is and the 500 chassis is 20 years old or more. Uh right. so that's a big part of it is, is building a chassis that can handle that kind of power. Is, is one of the things that I was kind of getting at too, is using all the technology they've learned and how the power is going to be delivered and applying that technology to the frame and chassis and, you know, th- kind of working around that problem that, you know, obviously those 500s had.
2: Uh, interesting you say that, Weege, because just today on pulpamex.com, um, sure. Doug Dubach told me a little story about riding a YZ360 in the Nationals. And they
1: did good on those things.
2: Well, yeah, but Doug still said it was a handful, still vibrated. It still it didn't It didn't work out that great.
0: Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. KTM makes a 300 kit that bolts right onto a K, their KTM 250SX, and that thing is potent. I've raced against them in Germany. They are fast, period. So I know it's feasible. Uh, it's obviously not legal, and if somebody would have protested them, they would have been disqualified, but... Uh trust trust yeah trust me when I tell you those things were really, really competitive, and you're talking about a twenty eight second track where those things are in their perfect element with they have one hundred percent traction over there in the winter time, so yeah. it was the perfect situation for them, but man, they were good
1: all right we hey, in like eighty seven the two fifty and five hundred basically chassis and suspension development would have been about the same, but people still i think vastly preferred racing two fifties just because 500s just insane and so maybe they maybe the answer is less than a 500 but more than a 250 but there are some I think one of the cool things about four strokes is that whole deal of they're able to be incredibly fast but also easy to ride and get traction um, it's not oh. just that they have unfair displacement I think there are some elements inherent to them that it would be hard to top it's not
0: just well without a doubt obviously. especially and yeah. to your point with the, the traction with the traction controls now with ECU uh, I mean, you're talking about a whole different level than we've ever seen before. I mean, the, the the things they can do now with the ECU and the and the mapping and the traction control. You know, it's, I know it's not true traction control, but the the timing. Uh, <laughs> it's it's really, really, really not a fair fight against a two-stroke on an on an outdoor motocross track.
2: All right, can we move on, please? Sure.
1: Okay. We... Why do you hate two-stroke, Steve? <laughs>
2: Which next question. Number, number 12.
1: Next question is about, uh, hey, guys, why are four strokes? <laughs> um, uh, there were a lot of those. Next question. Um, hey,
2: F. Davy Coombs and MX Sports. <laughs> uh, yeah. They're taking away my bike. Uh, I have my tinfoil hat on, and I'm very <laughs> upset.
1: Be careful. Be careful, man. Don't, don't insult the, <laughs> don't the listeners.
2: I'm not. Um, I'm not insulting them.
1: I have to agree. Like, there are many great things that two strokes would bring to the sport, but it's not as easy to just say pass the damn rule and make it happen. It's just not. That there's so many other elements to what makes the sport work, and it's unfortunate, but it's true.
2: Okay, here, here's, here's, my, here's my thinking, and it goes, the the two like you made a perfect point. There's many good points to why why to bring them back. There's equally some points on why not to bring them back. And I get all that, and maybe I spend too much time on Vital MX reading two stroke threads, but I, I I have read them it's like whenever I see a show about UFOs uh, I like UFO stuff I like bigfoot uFOs I like watching that kind of stuff uh, you see these uFO sh- shows you never see a guy like Wygant, just this collared shirt well spoken guy like Ygan go, yeah man, like i didn't believe in UFOs but One landed on my front lawn and took me up and uh, anally probed me and they dropped me back off and, oh my God, I totally believe in UFOs now. I would have never believed it, Um, but I'm telling you people it really happened. You never see that. What you see is some dude with a ponytail, you know, he's got, looks like he hasn't showered forever. He's got a tie-dye shirt on and he's like, yeah, man, I was abducted. I was taken up there, man. And I know they're, and like, the, the eyewitnesses they put on these TV shows that tell you they saw aliens are comical. They're, 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 they're laughable. So you, you don't see the Jason Wygant telling you about getting abducted. You see some sort of looking like a nut job, not really making much sense. He's got a beard that looks like ZZ Top or something. He's telling you about these aliens. And it's the same thing with the Two Strokes. The Two Stroke people on, on Vital... They immediately go into conspiracy theories, and Coombs and Honda, and uh, they're all in bed with each other, and this is why they're doing it. And it, the, it, it overpowers, they got tinfoil hats on, it overpowers the people that are like, yeah, man, I just really like think Two Strokes should be back. So it's the same way for me. Like, I have a hard time because the vocal minority seem like they're crazy, you know? I, I, that's why I look at it. That's all.
0: Yeah. So, why do you hate two strokes?
2: Okay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I just... The people... Uh, next question. The, the, the people that... Being French. Okay, all right. Never mind. Yeah. Hey,
1: we're good. We're yeah. good. We're good. You, you've now made everyone who likes two strokes believe they are the tattooed ponytail they, guy living in...
2: They the need apartment. to get better spokesmen, is what I'm saying. Get, get better spokesmen, and <laughs> we'll start listening to you. Get Wygant. You know, get someone... You need to find
1: lawyers... And some business people, and get them anally probed, <laughs> so they can speak
2: yes, for you. Yes, yes. Because I don't believe your story, crazy man on my TV. <laughs> I don't believe you. Look at you. You don't even have a job, looking like that. You know. So, that's all. Yeah.
1: Although I did just say that it's not entirely. It's not an entire disconnect. There, there is that is part of the reason. It's not that Honda is literally delivering uh, suitcases full of cash, saying, "Do not allow
2: <laughs> Oh, right. I know. And that's... But,
1: there is, but there is a general partnership between everybody that's involved in this sport, and if a, a race promoter of Supercross, Motocross, whatever, were to just say, we're making rules that suck for you guys, it doesn't go over well. It's just right. they do a lot for the sport. They really do do a lot for the sport, and I think it's taken for granted. We just assume that those trucks and the money they spend are there. But, man, three years ago when there was an economic problem and who was going to have rides and who was going to show up at Anaheim and how – All of a sudden, you're like, man, I hope these factories have money to spend. Man, I hope they support (laughs) the sport. This is going to suck if they pull out. So be careful.
2: Right. All right. Next
1: question. Don't poke the beast. Uh, Okay. Next question. I am French, so my question is going towards Christophe Porcel. What is going on? (laughs) Reading between the lines, I heard he was in touch with Moto Concepts. An insightful update would be appreciated. Of course, his name is Francois.
2: (laughs) Right. Uh... Yeah. Did you get any J Law questions, or did you just not put them in here,
1: dude? None. Oh. very happy. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: Purcell was talking to the concepts. He was talking to Valley. The last I heard, I spoke to someone who knows him well, and 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 Christoph said, "I am not racing. I am not racing for free." Oh, so um, I I don't know if he'll be back. Yeah, I guess he's not. I guess he's out again. Um, at this point, Weege, could he could he come back and be a factor? I won't even go with J Law. I'll just. Purcell.
1: Well, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, and we, we all said absolutely not. But what I heard is that the ride he specifically wants is a 250 outdoor ride. That's all he wants to do. So I think it's a little bit different model because we, a few weeks ago, figured, all right, he'll be racing 450s. And we're like, he's got no shot against the Lopoto Dungy and those guys. They spent three years getting faster every day, and he hasn't. But I don't know. 250 outdoors not a great shot, but I would say it uh the mm-hmm. odds would be a little better. That class can be a little yeah. mixed up at times.
2: Uh I agree with if you. If that were the
1: case, I, I think he could mix it up.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. Best shot. The best sh- if he has got if he's got a shot, it's the two of the motocross class.
1: Yeah, you um, will. Alright, next question. Uh I am French. I like two strokes. <laughs> I like
2: <laughs> What is up with J Law and two strokes? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, I lost my spot because I skipped the Okay. The all right. Hello, okay. Jason. you? Here okay.
2: All right.
1: Here's another. Oh, we're hitting all the hot topics. This is brilliant. Question from Jim is, what are your thoughts on a Riders Association? Ooh. Just like the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and NHL Players Association. Oh, we're hitting all the good ones. Thank you, Susan Jim. For, followed by uh, Riders
2: Union. Thank you, Jim, for including hockey in there, by the way. uh, Just like Davey <laughs> did on the editorial meeting the other day. He actually mentioned hockey. Um, I, I like that. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll start. Uh, JT was a rider forever. And he does work with the guys that fell a little bit. But I'll start. Um, What are my thoughts? Yeah, they should do it. They absolutely should do it. There was some meetings a few years ago. Jeff Stanton had some meetings. James Eichel had meetings in the 90s. Absolutely the riders should band together. And no, absolutely it'll never happen. So, carry on, JT. Uh, that's well put. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, 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 and you, I mean... Until Ryan Villapoto, James Stewart, Chad Reed get together and start it, uh, yeah. and those guys aren't going to do that anytime soon.
0: Yeah, it comes back to the same old problem: the guys with all the power aren't willing to risk what they have, and I don't blame them. <laughs> I don't blame them. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, those guys make a lot of money. They would have to risk everything for the masses that make nothing, and they're not gonna they're not gonna risk everything. You know, risk their family's financial future. To try to make change. That's that's silly. Yep. I don't I I w- I don't blame him for one second.
2: Yep. Ouija, anything? Uh,
1: no. I think pretty much it.
2: Um what? I'll take this one. Steven asks spelled it with a PH, by the way. Um the announcers and racers often mention the track conditions change from day to night at supercross races, especially on the west coast. Do supercross racers slash teams practice or test at night to simulate conditions at races? Uh Steven, the only team I ever heard of doing it was Honda. Back in the day when money was prevalent and people were just wiping their butts with $100 bills, uh, Honda would rent lights and have Dunlop come out and they would test at night and they would do, I believe, uh, a heat race, a main event, you know, the same amount of time between the races and everything, and I thought it was brilliant, and I'm sure it helped. JT, have you heard of anybody else doing it? And James,
0: James Stewart has it at his house.
2: Okay. All right, so James Stewart has lights. at That's right, he does have lights on that one track. Yep. So, okay. Yeah. So, Stewie's got lights. Um, anybody? But that's yeah. all I got. That's a good it's a good idea, right? Terrific.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. But without a doubt. It's right. just financially, you know,
2: yeah.
0: not real it's hard to justify. But yes, of course.
2: What I mean, about- especially
0: in Southern California, I think it's even more important because of the atmospheric change. Mm-hmm. Uh, the temperature drops, the humidity comes up. All these things change. Uh, so, yeah, I think if you have the means, of, yeah, it's, it's very beneficial. Uh, the dirt is completely different at night at Anaheim than it is during the day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, tires, uh, ECU, mapping, all that stuff.
2: Did you hear anybody else doing it besides Honda that time? Like any teams? or any, I, I, I thought did.
1: Suzuki did. Oh, yeah? I thought Suzuki did with Carmichael that first year. Okay. Um, uh, I don't want to go back into this topic, <laughs> but uh, was it potentially more – uh, needed back then because they were on two strokes. Hate to say this. <laughs> Hate to go back there. And they were French. Was it Was it more of a factor, the change in weather? And weather?
2: Yes. Yes, carburetion. Yeah, right. yeah, good point. It was, yep. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. All right, I'll take the next one. This guy, his name okay. is Steve, and he put in parentheses, nobody important. Come on, Steve. Okay. Like, really? You're important to somebody. Um. Do you guys think that other brands will eventually develop four-strokes to compete with the CRF 150? I'm a big fan of two-strokes, oh. but yet wondering uh, wondering why other brands have not entered the four-stroke mini-game. That that Honda thing that was going to change the world, and it did nothing. Weej, it didn't work.
1: Not fast enough.
2: Is that That's it? Really what it comes
1: down, That's yeah, the, absolutely yeah, and true. it really shows. This is there are going to be two-stroke fans, of which pretty much every single person listening to this podcast is. This is where you want to go outside, get your helmet on, because now you're going to want to bash your head into a brick wall. It literally shows the 150cc displacement wasn't quite enough to be better than an 85cc two-stroke, which then means if they had just said only 200 four-strokes could race in the 125 class, this probably all would have never happened. Oh, damn. Damn. Just crushing dreams. Yeah, in the amateur level, it's just I don't think they're faster. I think if anything, they're slower and they're heavier. They're not better, and that's all it comes down to. Uh,
2: Another question from him and I think is pretty good. Um, I keep hearing that air forks are the future, but then I also hear that air forks are inferior in some ways. Can you explain in which ways they are inferior if they don't really work as well as conventional springs, and why are they the future? Are steel springs really that expensive these days? Can you explain how long it will take to make them completely better than spring forks? Um, yeah, if you talk to a lot of suspension guys, and I've done podcasts with Rob Hendrickson, uh, Ross Maeda, um, about air forks. Rich Taylor was in the other day doing one, and he's got a lot of testing experience. They're still new in, in terms of being developed. Of course, they were out in the 70s or whatever, but the, the latest things. They're still new. Everyone thinks they will be better. But everyone also agrees that you need a few years to work out the bugs, work out the kinks, and find out what works better on them. There's no doubt they're lighter. There's no doubt they'll improve the handling of a motorcycle. Um, They just need some time, and they will be better. Um, But right now, everyone's of the opinion that they're maybe not better, but they have the potential to be a lot better. Did I cover that okay? You two? Yeah, who's?
1: Yeah, I I Uh, think it's the the future. Bone said... They're way better right now. They're way better right from the start. I don't know. That seemed a little crazy to me, but
2: right. Uh, yeah. Okay, we each take it. Next question, sixteen.
1: Uh, so we've got nothing. Else. We've got nothing else on the Air Force. Oh uh, well, I was kind of. I jumped in on you, and I was letting
0: you go. Um, I think that they're yes, much to what you were saying, they're already better, and we're talking very early stages of development. So I think. Uh, kind of disguise the, the limit with how much better they're going to get than a spring fork. Uh, I do think there are drawbacks and, you know, pros and cons to them, but I think the cons will be sorted out and the pros will be even more beneficial. Uh, the weight savings, um, just the the adjustability in them and all these things, you know, obviously there's reliability issues, and we really have, we didn't have any. We kept thinking we were going to see bikes riding off the track, we you know, if their forks that. collapse, yeah. and we didn't see it. So, some of the the drawbacks that we we're worried about never really came to light. Uh, and the, you know, the the issues we heard about in Supercross seem to be working themselves out. So I think as we move forward, uh, it's going to become a non-issue, and you're just going to see everybody on Air Forks here one
2: sooner thing, than later. One thing we get caught up in, us three and another and fans too, you know, Chad Reed comes out and says he doesn't like the Air Fork. The Air Fork sucks, blah, blah, blah. You know Chad Reed is very outspoken. Um, they're fine for 99% of the population, the YZ450. You know, some riders don't like it on the pro level. Some guys have difficulties riding it. Again, a great bike for 99% of the people. We sometimes lose track of that, myself included. Like, it's well, this not, was
0: supercross, you know.
2: No, your, I, I
0: average don't. people don't ride supercross. No, but so. but
2: but we all it, it translates into what you think of your buddy at Chicken Licks Raceway. You know, what I, I mean? understand, like,
0: but we have people have to keep that in perspective. Well, that's what
2: I'm saying. I know I know I'm, I know, saying I'm that. agreeing with I'm you. I'm saying people need to keep it in perspective. The right. YZ450 what? is fine. The air the air forks even though Chad Reed says they're, you know, he doesn't like him or whatever, they're fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, what what Chad Reed says about his motor and his suspension and his tires mean extraordinarily little to the average rider. It yeah. really really does. So, uh, yeah, I I completely agree with your point. Um, but people definitely need to understand that what you know, if Ryan Poto says, "Oh man, I you know tried this different shock and it wasn't working," and then it people you you just can't translate the two because you're never going to ride anything close to the same as what he's riding. It's just completely different systems. The internals are different. It's there. Nothing is the same.
2: Okay. All right. That's part one, folks. We had to break this thing up into uh, two megapods. It's been that big. It's gi- that ginormous. So that's part one. Part two is uh, probably coming out next week uh, with the rest of the conversation with Jason Wygant, Jason Thomas. But uh, that was part one. And thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com Racer X podcast presented by Thor MX. See you next week for part two.
0: This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show brought to you by Racer X. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as...
1: The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money.
0: The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it. you know. And it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was gonna miss. The Dogger, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you wanna listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did, everybody did. Go Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Search Pulp MX on the iTunes store to enjoy these and many more great podcasts.